Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is going to be the last one of deer season, and then we're moving to turkey content next week. And uh, we decided to try and and do another uh, heavy hitter, you know, send off deer season on a good note. So we got a big buck killer back on the show, Mr. Josh Driver. Josh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing great. Jacob, how are you? 
Doing excellent, everybody. Uh, Josh, it is exciting to talk to you again, man. It's always fun talking with you. Um, dude, I'm excited about this episode really on the aspect of, you know, we, we did an episode a few weeks ago about postseason scouting um, and how it can be efficient, but you have a different thought on postseason scouting, which I think a lot of guys are going to be interested in hearing this, especially if they are more, uh, you know, trophy mindset. They're, they're truly trying to find a bigger buck in their area, especially if they're hunting public land. So, Josh, let's kind of dive on into this. Uh, you know, you're, you're originally from Kentucky. You're now living in the Nashville area. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Awesome, man. So let's let's kind of dive right on into this uh, and just kind of hit it off hard. When it comes to postseason scouting, what what has been your experience in the past uh, for your style of hunting? Because you're very much trying to find a specific buck. You know, what did you do in the past, and and really how did it work for you when you started to do postseason scouting? Uh, hunting specific bucks, it never really it never really helped much. Uh, I was spinning my wheels too much. I, I was I was finding buck beds, you know, where a buck would be, where he was on camera, uh, during the rut, basically. And that was mainly all the sign, you know, the sign I was focusing on was rut sign. And it wasn't helping me get on specific deer because he was doing something totally different, bedding totally different on a totally different food source and everything. Whenever summer rolled around and early fall rolled around and I started hunting. Got you. So it's like you're almost going out there and it's, you're, you're looking at sign, but it's not necessarily relating to the buck that you're trying to find, especially hunting public land. Um, you know, especially, you know, you, kind of a little more background about you that we can kind of go over. You know, you, you run a lot of trail cameras and you're trying to find these bucks early in the summer and really try to pattern them and kill them either before the rut happens or after the rut. Uh, so once all that rut signs laid down, you know, that kind of makes it more difficult for you to kind of pinpoint where that deer is at, correct? It is. And, and a lot of the sign, of course, the sign during the rut, you know, it's all random. You know, it's random and, and chaotic. You know, there's real no rhyme or reason to to be part of it. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, also, when it comes to this postseason scouting for a specific deer and how that really hasn't worked for you, you know, it's I guess a lot of things have to change uh, from the time you're trying to kill that deer, which is, you know, very early season or post-rut. You know, you, you mentioned earlier before we started recording about food sources, you know, food sources being something that's totally changed for late season. And a lot of guys see all this deer sign late into the season. And if they're trying to find a specific deer, uh, you know, how can that kind of hurt them if they're trying to find it for the following year to come in there and kill it? Well, I know where I'm at. You know, they're they're hitting a lot of uh, woody browse uh, up in the, you know, the old log thickets. Uh honeysuckle anything green you'll see them a lot in the fescues and stuff you know along the roads or on the edges of the fields uh, of course during the summer that completely that totally changes and and also water there's water everywhere right now I mean, we've had a super wet wet postseason uh winter and during june july august i know in kentucky it's super dry so most of your deer are going to be down low or at least they're going to be getting down low every day at some point you know because that's where the water's at yeah, that, that's I think that's a huge difference. I, to be honest, I didn't even think about that, uh, but I can see how that could be a huge factor for somebody, especially if you're trying to kill that deer early on. Because uh, I've always thought about that. You know, you're doing postseason scouting, you're finding a ton of sign, especially you know a lot of old rut uh, rut sign. But how does how could that really help somebody going into the following year? Um, unless you're just trying to find areas that have high concentrations. But then this is my thought, and Josh, you, you kind of tell me what your thoughts are on this. You find the high concentration of deer. 
late in the season, but how is that possibly going to be the same coming the following year, especially in areas in logging country where they're always cutting different pieces of property. There's always stuff changing with the habitat. You know, in your opinion, is it, um, can people be successful kind of going in and finding the high concentration of deer and going back in there and trying to kill them, even though that sign they found was, you know, pretty late into the season, if not even postseason uh, activity? Yes, absolutely. I, I used to kill. I used to didn't target specific bucks. I, w- I would just try to kill any any mature buck that came by. And at that time, I was looking for funnels, rub lines, scrape lines, community scrapes, and things of that sort. And it, but and and that's really effective during the postseason if you just want to kill any buck. But whenever I started deciding that I wanted to kill a specific top end buck, that that all that threw all that out the window. All that was just a waste of time after that. Andrew, what's your thoughts on all of that? So uh, what I'm getting from this is kind of like what me and, me and Jacob talked about the other day. Uh, like we got on the phone and we were talking about this episode and postseason scouting and everything. And I told him that over the last few years I've done a lot of postseason scouting, but I felt like I ended up accomplishing nothing because I'll postseason scout and then it's like I'll never get anything out of those spots that, that, I, that I looked at. Uh, so it's almost like, for me, it's been a waste of time over the years, to be completely honest. And uh, that's kind of it, – it sounds like you've had a similar experience, Josh, where you just kind of, as you said, like we're spinning your wheels for a while, uh, kind of, I guess, focusing on the wrong things. I mean, that is that accurate? That's, that's very accurate. And what I was trying to do is I was trying to use that sign that I was finding postseason, which is old sign. And I was trying to use that, you know, like specifically to kill a deer next year. Mm-hmm. When I should have been using it as like a, a generalization, you know, just like a, as a broad view. Okay, a scrape's here, so a scrape's going to be another spot that's like it. I mean, I should have been using it as a as just a learning tool, not something to actually kill a deer by, but to learn to kill deer in the future, not that deer, another deer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like you, you're re- reading it, reading what's happening. Mm-hmm. What has that transition been like for you? Like when you started kind of changing changing up your postseason scouting tactics, what are some of the things that you really started changing? Uh, I really don't. I don't. I, I will get out and walk. I'll get out and walk around and look for sheds, and I just enjoy just being in the woods, period. I mean, so I, I get out and walk around postseason. Uh, I enjoy getting out in the woods looking for sheds, you know, maybe see a big track. I even put some cameras out, you know, every now and then just to, you know, in a, in a core, you know, to see if a buck, I might can get pictures of a buck. But that, but I, I don't really, I don't really do much postseason scouting now. It's, it's, it's. I don't have that, you know, my time's so limited that I don't, I don't like to waste it on that. Mm-hmm. Now, is uh, can, is the postseason a, a good time to locate a core area? If you're kind of, if you don't know where one is, is this a good time to go find one? You can, but you're going to have to know that that core is going to shift. Mm-hmm whenever you want to kill him next year, you know, early, early season or, or early fall. And of course, you know, of course, during the rut, there's the cores abandoned completely. Mm-hmm. He's in, in, in and out of it and all over the place then. Yeah. So a lot of the sign that you're finding, especially, I guess, uh, the older rut sign is just, uh, it's not going to be applicable to like early season next year. And then, and then any sign you find from the early season isn't going to be applicable to the rut. And, and you're kind of playing this game where, there's a lot of noise out there and it's hard to decipher everything. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And yes. The, the old sign, I'm not really concerned about the old sign anymore. All I'm looking for is, is hot sign that's fresh right now and where I can predict the next shift or sign's going to be. 
I would mm-hmm. I, that what I try to do, if, especially if I can't get on a buck. And of course, you know, he's as as time changes, he you know they're he's just like a micro shifts. But if you look at it long distance, like from June to August, it seems like a big shift. But if you can keep your cameras running and have a good idea of where he's going to go and keep cameras, you can even put cameras out where he's not there yet in anticipation that that's where he's going to be and monitor those as well. And seeing you're, you're also applying very little pressure on him by doing that. But if you can keep up with him, the, the, it's a bunch of micro, like micro shifts as time goes on. But if, if you just like find a buck during June and then all of a sudden you're looking for him in August before season comes in, you might not be able to find him at all. You know, because that, that shift's going to seem like a macro shift. It's going to be big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that, uh, hold on. I got, I got to dive in on that. That is, listen, that is, that kind of just now hit home for me now. Think about that, Josh, talking about the micro shifts versus a macro or, or a larger shift, how the deer are always slightly moving their pattern as, you know, as the days go on. Uh, from summer into early fall into winter through that whole transition, how they're slightly moving on what they're doing. And I think I saw that this summer, Andrew, you know what I'm talking about with those bucks that we glassed and we filmed a little bit and one huge buck that I wasn't able to get a camera on, but I saw with my eyes uh, that was out and how those deer would rotate through this one area that we could glass them at. But sooner or later, you know, probably about a month or so before season, they kind of ease, you know, they kind of disappear. They stop showing up in that area, at least during the times we were normally seeing them. Um, but I'm sure, you know, their core area probably wasn't too terribly far, uh, just because the habitat there's unbelievable for, especially a deer to get very old and, uh, you know, definitely put some age on them. Um, but I think that is such a good point when running trail cameras trying to find those small patterns, those slight patterns, how they are adjusting, you know, every day or maybe even every week, how they're slightly moving. So when season does come in, you're already on top of them and you're not worried about crap. You know, you were looking for old sign last year and now your summer scouting is not helping you for when the season actually comes in versus staying out there with your cameras and kind of keeping them on the deer throughout the whole progression up into the season. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yes. Yes. And a, lot, a mistake a lot of people make, you know, they, I've read, you know, where, especially years ago, I've read where they would say that a core area may be 10 acres for one buck and it may be 50 acres for another buck or 100 acres for another buck. And I've found by running all these trail cameras that that's really not the case. They seem to be pretty consistent with all the bucks, but there's just those shifts. I mean, the, the, the core seem to stay about the same size. They just came to shift and move around. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, I've got a question for you when when it comes to the core areas because uh, you know the episode we had you on talking about how to find and hunt and kill a deer in his core area. You know, we've had quite a bit of uh, listener success stories come from that. You know, guys having success using your tactics. Uh, actually, had some happen the weekend after your episode had dropped. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, guys looking at postseason scouting and trying to find these, you know, if they were trying to find core areas and, and kind of struggling to do so, you know, maybe from what it seems like, you know, put more time instead of necessarily, you know, focusing a whole bunch of time in the postseason other than maybe go find some sheds and stuff like that. But in the summertime, try to go back out and try to locate these deer, these bucks in their core area with your trail cameras and kind of stay on them and almost be more efficient during the summertime. Don't be so lazy during the summertime instead of getting so fired up about postseason. Um, I mean, from what it seems like what you're doing, I think that would, you know, that's kind of what was working for you, correct? 
Yes. Yes. Well, let, let's kind of dive into a little bit more about um, maybe getting away from the postseason scouting uh, for some guys and actually maybe focus more into summer scouting. You know, it is February right now, but doesn't mean you can't kind of look ahead uh, to making a game plan for what you want to do this summer to really map out how your fall is going to be. Um, so that being said, what is your transition like? Uh, I don't know if you're a turkey hunter or a big fisherman or anything like that, but what is your transition like when it comes to like when are you getting cameras back out in the woods and when are you starting to put a pattern uh, on these big bucks? Uh, around the first of July is when I'll start. I'll start putting my cameras out, and uh, I'll start by putting them out in areas that are cores year after year. You know, because of the variety, diversity, and access, and everything that they provide. You know, the security. You know, those same spots will be cores year after year after year. There may not always be a buck in there that I want to shoot, but those same areas seem to be cores you know, year after year, or at least every other year, because it has everything that that it needs to be a core. Yeah, I'll start. I'll start like the first week of July. It's usually when I'll when I'll start, and I'll I'll mm-hmm. try to keep up with them. You know. Well, now a question that kind of came to mind when you're talking about these cores, uh, especially coming late season. You know, a lot. You know, of course, you're gonna have bachelor groups in the summertime, and I know some places you'll find bachelor groups coming closer to the end of season, depending on where you're located in the country. Uh, that being said, do you see bucks, especially in the areas that you've hunted, uh, especially public land? Do they share core areas? Uh, some of the more mature bucks come like late into the season. Is that something you see, or are they still pretty much spread out uh, from one another? No, they'll they'll get back together, and it seems like well, like the really big mature bucks seem like they're always by themselves. But like the you know, I see a lot of three and three and four year olds get will get right back together. Okay, they'll they'll hang out until they shed velvet, and usually one sheds before the other. I've seen this over and over and over again. One will shed. And the other one hasn't shed, but he's trying to spar with him. So they'll split up. And you won't see this one for two, three, four weeks. He'll just disappear. And he may even be the bigger buck. And you're like, oh, my goodness, where'd he go? You're looking, you're checking the ponds, thinking you might have you know, got EHD or something. And then all of a sudden he shows back up after he shed velvet. And then they'll be together all the way up until they, till, you know, uh, around October the 18th or 20th. And they'll split back up for good. I've I've seen guys, uh, especially in Alabama or some of these states that have a, a very late season, uh, you know, going into February 10th, you know, by this time of the year, some parts of the state actually finding bucks that have come back together, you know, really good deer, really good deer come back together, uh, you know, that, you know, last couple weeks uh, of the season uh, in different parts of the state and, you know, have an opportunity to get on those deer. Now, my question is, you know, guys that are, you know, still thinking about like postseason scouting and, you know, they're trying to map out for the following year. When it comes to like finding some of that sign uh, from what you had experienced in the past and have negative, you know, kind of some f- negative feedback from it, when all those deer are kind of grouped up like that, especially all the bucks grouped up, does that really kind of give also guys a false sense of hope on what the deer are doing during actual hunting season? As in, like, all those deer are kind of congregated in one area. Uh, which is definitely common whether you're in a you know farm country or places just where there's not a whole bunch of um, either mass crops on the ground or just a whole bunch of browse. I, I can see where it would. They don't really mass up like that where I'm at. They they're kind of still they're they're kind of still spread out. I mean, you you know you get your bachelor you know like you know of course the bachelor groups two bucks sometimes three. You'll see several bucks converge on a food source, but a bachelor group you know like 99 percent of the times like two bucks. Every now and then it'll be a third one with them. But the, I mean, I don't see I don't see a lot of deer converging together where, where I'm at. They 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 don't. Now, I got a, I got a question for Andrew. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrew, you and me, we've done some 
postseason scouting before and, you know, had mixed results where, you know, you'd find, you know, especially a lot of like rutting sign. You're like, okay, this looks awesome. We go back in the following year during the rut. And a lot of times it's dried up and something's not there, uh, whether it's an area that's covered up in scrapes, covered up in rubs, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I've got a question really just kind of go for, for Andrew and Josh. Um, Andrew, I'll let you answer first. And I'll let Josh take it second. Um, do, you, do you think that the deer are literally, they're just working area just because of the human pressure as well? Like they're, they're working areas that there's no people really work like coming through there? Like when it comes to having the scrapes, uh, a lot of scrapes laid down and a lot of rubs and a lot of rutting activity? Uh, not necessarily. Because, I mean, you'll find uh, you'll find scrapes and stuff down logging roads that are used by people pretty often. I mean, I think maybe to an extent, but I don't think they, they necessarily stay out of those areas like the plague, uh, if that makes any sense. And Josh, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? That's not the exact same thing. I mean, I've, I've literally walked in a logging road and set up and then came back out and had a, scra- a fresh scrape right in the middle of that logging road where I just walked. Well, that's that's one th- that's one thing I think of, you know, when it comes to, you know, postseason, you know, scouting guys are – from what it seems like everybody I've ever talked to, like postseason scouting, you're doing one of two things. You're either trying to find some place to hunt during the rut and trying to find all that rutting activity sign, or you're trying to find buck beds, which, Josh, that's my next question for you. Buck beds, you know, hunting-specific deer – how much consideration do you take on finding individual beds, if any, uh, if that's even important for you when it comes to late season or postseason? I pay no attention to them. I, I find them all the time. But but they're up up close to the food source. They're usually on a south slope, you know, a lot of times up high, you know, real thick areas. And they're going to be totally different than what they're going to be, what they're going to be whenever I want to kill them. Uh, I'm, I'm not really, I'm just, I'm not concerned what they're doing postseason whatsoever. I'm what I'm really worried about is what they're doing first week of September. That's mm-hmm. my number one concern. Yeah, I man, a- after like three years now of like finding beds a lot and going out and scouting beds all the time, I I can honestly say that I don't think that I've located a bed yet that like actually helped me kill a deer. Um, and that might be just because the vast vast majority of beds that I find I'm finding either right now or in the summertime at some point. And I mean, it's just never been super useful to me. Um, which I mean, it sounds like you kind of share that same sentiment. I mean, there's just, uh, there's not much you can do with that piece of information, I guess. There's not, there's not, there's not anything you can do for that specific bed or that specific deer at that time. But what it will do is teach you how deer bed. I mean, you will see how deer bed on edges. It doesn't matter if it's a terrain edge or a uh, cover edge or structure edge. You'll see how the deer do bed, bed, and, and utilize. I have no idea why they do it, but they do, you know, especially mature deer. They'll bed on an edge of some sort, just about everywhere. It doesn't matter if they're down low, up high, the farm country or in, in the mines. It could be anywhere. Big woods, they bed on an edge of some sort. Now, let's let's talk about those edges. Um do when it comes to the deer bedding, okay, throughout the season, and with the core area, everything, and how they use edges to their advantage. And I know when we had you on the first time, you talked about the positive, negative terrain or space where those deer use them. How does that change come late season? Because I know you're you told us in the last episode, you know, you want to kill those deer before the rut or you want to kill them after the rut. So like after that rut situation, what are you looking for? I know you talked about food sources, and you know they're going towards food sources. But do those deer use those edges and bed differently based on the the type of 
uh, terrain or cover it is? You know, when the leaves are off the tree and it's a little more barren, does that change much when it comes to what edges? Yes, they'll look for a much thicker. They'll look for a thicker area, definitely. A cover area, a cover edge, and I've, I've noticed even during the summer, like a cover edge will trump a terrain edge. And, you know, they'll talk about, you know, the wind and, and thermals and all this other stuff. But a cover edge will trump a, trump a uh, terrain edge anyway. If there's no cover in that terrain, if it's just big open woods, and there's somewhere that's, that's, that's got a good cover edge, that, that buck a bed in that cover edge instead. Interesting. Uh, now, that being said, you know, I know we talked about you know, the first time having you on, you know, some of that cover, uh, you know, being in kind of some of these river bottom areas where you get some logging stuff up top and you get kind of the river creek bottoms down below. You know, those late season cover edges that deer are using, what does that normally look like in the area that you've hunted? Uh, you know, what, what kind of areas are those that those deer are bedding in, uh, you know, for that late season? They're the old the old log log thickets up on top, usually up on the up on the high ridges, you know, up high, or uh, the uh, south side of the slopes. You know, you got the the uh, uh, flats down below that have come off of it. You know, where they where they had the pines and logged them. And so those real thick logged areas is, is what I'm mainly seeing most of my bedding in, you know, on those edges. Gotcha. And again, you know, as Andrew experienced, I guess back in, when did you shoot your buck, Andrew? Was it November or December? It was, uh, uh, that was on that working that edge. December 8th. Okay. So a- Andrew experienced that firsthand on uh, how they how they work those edges and, you know, on that logging on top of the ridge and everything, uh, especially come the rut kind of uh, just working through those areas. Um, now, Josh, when it comes to, you know, what's helped you be successful you know, last time we had you on, we talked a lot about kind of early season, uh, killing bucks before the rut. Let's talk a little bit about your late season stuff, uh, you know, kind of before we get to this postseason. Um, when it comes to late season, can you walk us through some of the hunts you've had in late season and, and had a little success doing that, uh, whether it's focusing on food sources or just cover? Because I think a lot of guys, uh, unless they're in ag country uh, or if you can hunt over corn piles, um, sees that kind of daunting when it comes to like very limited food sources like Arkansas, you know, their season goes all the way to the end of February, um, which is crazy because the bucks are dropping antlers right now. Um, but what do you focus on that late in the season trying to find that bucks core area after the rut? Most of the deer I've killed have been early. I've killed a couple of late, you know, like two different late season bucks. And both of those were up high up in, in the thickets. And that's, and that's exactly what they were feeding on, you know, all that, the, the woody browse. And I just got up in as close to their, as close to where I knew they were bedding as I could. That's, yeah, you know, both of them were exact, were, you know, basically the exact same scenario. Mm-hmm. Andrew got, got up just as close to them as I could get, you know, up in the, up in the thicket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, definitely. We've uh, tried to implement that a little bit this year. Andrew, I know you had some things uh, we were talking about uh, earlier this week about uh, talking about different train types and edges and everything for like late season uh, when it came to scouting. Josh, I've got a question for you. You're kind of playing a little devil's advocate here. I know you don't like the postseason scout uh, when it comes to specific bucks. If a guy wants to go out there and he's just trying to find deer to hunt the next year, First, let me ask you this: Can he have success postseason scouting just to try to locate, you know, some decent bucks for the following year? Uh, maybe hunting during the rut or whatever it is. Mm, possibly. I mean, they're gonna, they're going to be they're gonna still going to be in the, the general area, you know, when the rut comes around. You know, if you find one now, he's he's going to be in that that general area somewhere. He may be a mile away, but one mile away may be over there. Who, you know, uh, but yes, if, if he can find a funnel, a real nice funnel with a, a lot of hot sun. 
or, or had had sign, you know had hot sign and you know a bunch of rubs and scrapes and and stuff connected to it then i think he would he would do well that's one thing that i wanted to ask about a little bit is like it, pretty much what you just asked jacob like if somebody was going to go out right now they're fired up they got two weekends between now and turkey season or whatever to get out there and scout before green up happens what are some things that they should be looking for uh this time of year that'll actually you know be semi-meaningful this coming fall well you can look for your scrapes and your rub lines and you can pretty much judge exactly where the does were and what they were doing at the time by looking at those rub lines and your scrapes scrape lines uh look for community scrapes you know look for those hubs that connect Uh, there's a lot of different things they can do to, to kill any deer you know any deer that comes by there's a there's a lot of different things that they can look for uh structure cover and terrain funnels uh you know and all the things that that are connected to those okay the social social hubs social hubs are really important during during the rut and that, a lot of times that's where your community scrapes are, are at or are located at you know it's in those social hubs mm-hmm. that's kind of what we were talking about the other day is uh i feel like this year i'm gonna whenever i do get out and postseason scout i'm gonna try and focus more on what i was telling jacob things that like don't change uh, if that makes sense. Like, I want to find things that literally, uh, like, year after year aren't going to change. Like a terrain funnel, like exactly what you just talked about. Something that is not going to grow up or get cut down or get pushed over by the wind or something like that. All right, so that being said, uh, Josh, another thing that I really kind of wanted to ask you about is let's say uh, let's say that you have located a buck postseason. Or, or, or you had a buck last season that you were hunting, and he made it through the season, and you kind of have that awkward period where they're growing their antlers, basically between now and July, like what you were talking about. How far do you typically find them from where you left off? Like if you had pictures of them or whatever in late December, uh, how far are they usually from that core area when you pick them back up in July? Well, you know, like you, st- you kind of started it out and, and said, you know, it depends. And it, and it does. I mean, the core could be exactly where it's at right now. And that core could be mm-hmm. a mile away. You know, it, it depends on what, what the winter food source and the summer food source, the isolation, uh, the variety, uh, the water. There's a lot of different factors that play into that, that, that leaves that, leaves that so open that it can't even, it really can't even be answered. Uh, if I was out, if I was out during the, during the postseason looking for sign to hunt during season. Let's say if I'm, if I, I got my vacation scheduled during the rut and I just want to kill any deer that comes by, I would go out and I would focus on terrain features that are connected to thicker areas where does are going to be bedding, where bucks are going to be bedding. I would focus on white oaks right now. I'd look to see where they're at right now, postseason, and see how they're connected to benches, uh, flats, thickets, uh, saddles up over the top. The, ther- the thermal hubs down in below the high crow's foot and i would i would be looking for all that type of stuff because all that stuff is related to the rut and you can use that very well during the rut and just go in there and you know check your sign check your rub lines your scrape lines you can see where the does were bedding you uh, uh and that's that's basically what i would be looking for right now uh if i went to postseason scout but that doesn't do the way i'm hunting the way i hunt nowadays that really doesn't do me any good mm-hmm yeah. Um, is there anything that you can look for right now, like kind of staying on that same thing, like thickets and terrain? Is there any way that you could go out right now 
and locate a good early season spot based on like you were talking about specific locations of feed tree or like white oaks, persimmons, whatever. Uh, like maybe matching those up with some kind of terrain feature uh, for an early season spot. Uh, yes, but I I could, but it's it would be it would be kind of biased because I already know what an early season good a good spot early season looks like. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in, any place that has that, you know, those, those, the, the different, you know, like an open, open hardwood, you know, thicket connected to it, you know, maybe some fields of some sort, you know, some open areas, you know, some water that's got a little bit of diversity with the, the train. It's got variety in food, got a little bit of isolation. Maybe there's some old lady over here that don't allow anybody on her property. She's got 20 acres. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different factors that, that fall in and I can, you know, you can you can find a core. Once you start finding cores, especially during the summer, you'll see how they'll they'll kind of they'll they'll relate to each other. Like with one spot that's a core, you'll look to another spot that you've never been to in your life, and you'll be like, "Hey, that might be a core there too," because it's almost just like this spot. And nine times out of ten, it will be. Hmm. Yeah, I I haven't got that way with cores yet. Um, although after we recorded with you which people who've been listening throughout the season will know what I'm talking about when I say that, uh, that later in the season I've been hunting in South Alabama a lot and uh, I basically going into that hunt because my strategy this year was like bounce from one area to another but when I went to a new area stick with it so I had this one property in mind I knew I was about to hit it full force for the pretty much the rest of the season and so I went back and I re-listened to the first episode we did with you where you're talking about diversity and everything and I went straight to the most diverse spot I could find. And, I mean, from there on out, it was action, action, action. I mean, every single hunt I focused on uh, diversity and edges coming together and compounding features. And, I, dude, I cannot tell you how good it worked. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, so what are some things that people can look for right now, again, when they're trying to find, like, that diversity or whatever, or, or a core area, what are some, like, characteristics of that that you typically find? Uh, like, one specific spot that I found, it was split by the, there was a road, there was a bunch of hardwood, there were some bluffs, uh, it had a thicket up on top that had been logged, and it had another thicket that was logged, like, four years later, right, butted up next to it. They just logged half of it and then logged the other half so they could stagger the growth. And then right across the, the, the road was a golf course. Right on the other side, it's a gravel road. Mm-hmm. Right on the other side of the road was a golf course, which was completely off limits. Well, that spot offered everything. It offered all the food, all the variety, all the, the the security, all the diversity that it needed. And that spot, and I show it to you on a map, but I won't. That spot is a buck's court <laughs> every year. And there's a big buck there every single year. And those bucks almost use it in the same way. It's almost, it's almost uncanny. You know how they use you know buck after buck will use it in the same manner because of you know how the how the terrain and the edges and everything are laid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it, it sounds like after talking to you the first time and this time, it sounds like a core area is is just typically a spot that has a lot of diversity, is in like a, a lot of different types of habitat coming together, whether it be like a thicket and open hardwoods or, or thicket and a different kind of thicket or, or whatever. Um, it's got a lot of diversity and then it's got some kind of advantage to it where maybe it's hard to get to, maybe it's overlooked yes. or maybe there's a specific terrain feature that gives them a, a big advantage. Yes. Um, 
I mean, would you say that's pretty correct? Yeah, that's that is that's one hundred percent correct. And I found that that probably the most important one of the most important factors to all that is the security. The security is like the one thing that it's super hard to get to. It's super thick and can't be hunted. It's right under everybody's noses and it doesn't get hunted or it's off limits, you know, like, like a, a golf course or a, a refuge of some kind that's in a, you know, like a, a state park within a state forest and you can't hunt the state park, but you can hunt the state forest. You know, there's some kind of security that's connected, connected to all that as well. But the one thing that almost everybody overlooks is you have all this stuff, but then you have to have access to all of that. And that access is like the key to everything. It's not your access. It's the deer's access to all of that. So what do you mean by that? Like his access to it's it, what kind of access does he have to all this diversity, variety and security? Oh, okay. I got you. So, so maybe like how does he have a good safe way that he can travel from bedding to feed and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Because, because deer do not, Regardless of what people think, they don't like to travel two or three hundred yards when they come off a bed. They don't, you know, I mean, on up in, in the night, you know, they might travel, travel, but I, I've set cameras up and have a deer in a little five acre spot, mature buck, like a six year old buck in a five acre spot, and he'll never leave that five acre spot. I mean, mm-hmm. he'll go like weeks at a time and never leave that little five acre spot. They don't, they don't like to, they don't yeah. like to have to travel long distances. Mm hmm. So it, uh, it almost sounds like that's a good way to separate a good spot from a great spot. Yes. You know, like a good spot might have all this diversity in food, but a great spot has it all connected in the right way where basically it's hard to kill a deer in it. <laughs> yes, but <at laughs> that's the, what it sounds like. At the same time, you can have too much of a good thing. I mean, you know, like in a... What do you mean by that? Uh, like something that's a little different in a sea, in a, in a sea of chaos will, will, won't get noticed something in a sea of monotony that's that's a little bit different will stand out like like you can take mm-hmm. you can take a hundred acres of hardwood and one acre of pine and the deer will gravitate to that pine 100 acres of pine with one acre of hardwood in the middle and they'll gravitate to that hardwood but if you've got a big checkerboard mm-hmm. of all pine and hardwood everywhere there's no telling where the deer are going to be you see what i'm saying yeah Oh yeah. Oh, I've, I've had that problem before. Um, I mean, just like my home parcel that I grew up hunting, we kind of had that. We're like, man, there's just bedding everywhere. Like, what do we do? Like, there's so much cover. How do we narrow it down? Uh, I still don't know if I have it figured out. I mean, it's a, that's a pretty difficult thing to do. Um, how how have you kind of tackled that? I I just kind of, I go to, I go somewhere else. I go to a spot that offers what I want. (laughs) That's that's one of the great things about hunting, hunting tens of thousands, uh, of uh, acres of public land i have i have i can go somewhere else <laughs> yeah bounce bounce to a spot that's worth your time yep, absolutely exactly yeah jacob jacob what do you, do you have anything to add to yeah, that? yeah I'm, I'm drooling over here this about this conversation um <laughs> so yeah I, I definitely have a lot that i want to t- kind of talk on um first being i think you're 100 percent right uh josh when it comes to talking about like jumping around until you find what you want uh, in, in a piece of property when it comes to public land. I mean, that's the greatest thing about hunting public land. You're not stuck on, you know, 300 acres or 500 acres if you had a little lease or some private land that you owned or whatever, or club. Um, that being said, a lot of guys I know that are very successful in public land, okay, they that travel, they look for the same thing on every piece of public land they go to, okay? And talking like the deep south here. 
and they have success. And I know a couple guys that come off the top of my head that I'm thinking of that they can bounce around from different parcels, different pieces of public land, and they look for very similar things across the board where they know that deer are going to be, you know, bucks are going to be laid up in there. Um, and I think that is so, so, so true. And that's the cool advantage of hunting public land is, man, once you find on what you're looking for when it comes to the habitat, the diversity, you know, even, you know, find the place that has that perfect funnel in all that that can kind of work to your advantage, you could scour, you know, Onyx or HuntStand or Basemap, whatever, Google Earth, until you find that a specific spot on the public land that you can get to. Whether it's, you know, the one down the road from you or one that's an hour and a half from you. But you know when you go there, you're going to have a chance to kill a good deer. Uh, so I think that's fantastic. And I think that's a really good point, Josh. Uh, and I think that's something that hopefully other guys, other people listen to the podcast kind of gets you excited. And really shows you, Andrew, this kind of goes for you and me, talking our home par- our home parcel. I think we get so stuck up with that freaking place, dude. Uh, there's big deer. There's some giant deer there. But we get so stuck up with it on the aspect of... Um, you know, trying different things, you know, year after year, having a little success, but never finding that one spot that is just gravy. Uh, kind of like Josh, what you were just talking about with that one place with the golf course and everything. Um, I think the guys that I know that are true deer killers, they have enough of these great spots they can go through year after year and consistently kill big deer doing that. And Josh, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yep. So... Talking cores here and everything else. Uh, Andrew, do you have anything you want to hit on? Anything else on kind of like the postseason aspect? Because if not, I'd like to actually kind of jump into maybe, um, I know it's kind of far-fetched, but jump into some summer core areas and, and how to locate that. Um, Man, I mean, n- not really. Um, Josh, are you a big turkey hunter? Oh, yes. I'm a big turkey hunter. Do you ever happen to run across anything in turkey season that you find useful for deer season? I find sheds from time to time. That's, but I'm not really not. I'm really not. I'm not really scouting or anything. I'm not really. I don't. I don't really find anything then. Okay. Yeah. Fire away, Jacob. All right. Cool. All right. So, Josh, uh, let's kind of jump forward. You know, four or five months here, and say it's uh, you know May or you know June, and a guy is starting to kind of figure out his plan for the fall. Okay. How can you start, you know, early to mid-summer, start to try to locate these, you know, core areas? Looking at a map, what can a guy do, especially like down here in the deep south where, you know, you know, kind of giving our, our, our uh, listeners down here some love from like, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and southern Arkansas where they're dealing with a lot of pines and stuff like that. What are you looking for if you're trying to find that early season core and you're trying to find a buck early on? Again, you're talking diversity and everything, but if you're looking at a map, what is like the thing that jumps up at you saying, okay, I need to go in there and run a camera or look for a buck? I don't know if baiting is allowed down there. But now in Kentucky, a lot of the times off the private, the private, uh, off the public, people will, will have corn piles or food plots and stuff like that. That's one thing that I'll pay attention to. I'll pay attention to the private that butts up to the public. Because a lot of times that'll draw and hold uh, hold deer in there. Uh, carbs are super important. Once a buck reaches a certain age, carbs are extremely important with growing antlers. I mean, it takes a lot of energy for the cell division that, that antler growth takes. It's almost more important than minerals or, or proteins. A lot of people don't know that, but it is. Uh, so I will look for those spots that, that are around the, the private 
and the, the real thick areas around private, that's some of the spots that I'll key on first, first and foremost. And it's because those bucks, especially the mature bucks, are trying to eat and, and they're trying to carve up as much as they possibly can during June, July, and August. Okay, so your transition from that, and actually um, I've had success really looking at those property boundaries like you're just saying and not necessarily finding, you know, baiting just because, you know, baiting down here, well, anyway, it's complicated in Alabama. Um, but anyways, you know, finding food plots or something right on the edge of a public and trying to find where those deer are kind of crossing and, and coming through there. But, okay, say you, you find a spot like that, okay? And anybody that hunts a piece of public, if you look close enough at a lot of those boundaries, you find a lot of diversity on the boundary lines uh, with that private. From there, if you find a good deer there, maybe you run a couple trail cameras in the area, how are you trying to backtrack him or how are you trying to find that core area for him in the summertime? And how can you kind of start getting that to your advantage and start mapping out a couple different bucks to chase come season? Well, almost always in the scenario I just ran, almost always all the pressure is coming from the private side because they're coming in and out, you know, messing with their food plots, they're running their cameras, they're putting corn out. They're messing around out there on their four-wheelers all the time. So that's where all your pressure is coming from. So they're keeping that deer on the public, you know, the thick areas that are on the public. So, but but the spot, most almost all the spots I'm hunting now are spots that I know are cores. They're, they've been cores year after year after year. And I've kind of, I've, I've used that and related it to other areas and found other cores that I know are cores now. So I've kind of, I kind of already know where those cores are at it's hard to explain you you've got the diversity the open you've got the cover uh you've got variety in food variety in, in in your timber and cover which offer you know that that offers a lot of variety in food as well uh and those especially in large areas like i hunt large wooded areas when you find something that's a little different you know it has all that stuff combined there's it's it's usually a core a good chance that it's going to be a core now, one thing that you keep saying that is kind of coming to my mind is uh, you're talking like open areas, um, you know, talking like open hardwoods. Does that play a factor, especially when it comes to, you know, having, you know, that mass crop, you know, especially oaks uh, in those areas? Does that play a big factor in, you know, finding a core is finding areas that have that close to it? Not so much. But what it does is it, it causes the deer to gravitate toward the thick, you know, the logged areas. See, because where I'm at, you know, the, the, a big majority of it are, are hardwoods. And then you've got small areas like up on the ridges that used to be farm fields. They planted pines to help with erosion. Of course, and then they logged all the pines because, you know, the beetles were killing them. Mm-hmm. So now they're, they're real thick areas in there. So it relates in the sense that that you've got a whole bunch of, of mature hardwood and then you've got these thickets, these real thick areas, you know, some, there's a few of them down in the bottoms. Most of them are up on the ridges. Some of them are even on the sides, you know, like the, uh, uh, like flats, you know, come off the side might have a, uh, you know, been logged at some time, but that's, that's how it relates. And then they'll drop down into the bottoms. Of course, the bottoms, you know, it, it offers a lot of variety too. She's got a lot of aquatic growth that grows down there during the summer. And I mean, that's one of the, that's one of, that's a huge food source, you know, during the, during the summer is all that local down in the bottoms. And then of course your open areas, you know, fields and all, a lot of people, and even if they're not planting anything in it, you know, a lot of people, they kind of overlook it. And I don't care if the deer, you go out, they can go out there during the dark and, you know, what a deer's doing nocturnally, I don't even care. I just want the deer to be there. That's, mm-hmm. that's the number one thing for me, just knowing the deer's there and that, that the spot is holding the deer. That's what's important. I don't care if he's nocturnal or not. I can figure him out. 
I can figure out where he's bed and set up on him. And I guess that also goes back towards, you know, your thoughts on positive, negative terrain, the, you know, the more open stuff, especially, you know, early season, I'm guessing, you know, you're going to kind of keep those deer out of those areas, uh, you know, most times, unless they're sitting right underneath a, you know, a white or something feeding. Um, but it kind of, I guess, helps you a little bit more in your access, kind of getting in and out of those areas once you locate the thickets that those deer are staying in. Is that kind of, kind of your mindset? Yes, uh, you almost always, uh, almost always enter from down low, uh, enter from the open hardwoods. I try to walk ditches as much as I can. Uh, I'll enter from enter from fields or open areas if they're if they're in the area. But yes, you're correct. Gotcha. Well, awesome. Well, uh, Josh, you know, is there anything else uh, that you find important for you uh, that you'd like to kind of relate with people when it comes to? Um, you know, maybe some of the, the negative experiences you've had on, on postseason scouting and, and how for you it's not necessarily uh, an effective tactic. I, I just got, I got caught up with just, with, with, I got too caught up with trying to relate specific sign and use that specific sign to kill a deer next year, and which is almost impossible. And, and I tried it over and over and over again. And one of the reasons that I think that I kept spinning my wheels is because I was I was reading people on the forums and reading magazine articles and reading in books and all you know about how important this postseason scouting was. And when I started trying to kill specific deer, that postseason scouting was pretty much a waste of time. Other than if I could just confirm he made it through, that was pretty much the only important thing. But actually, what he's doing now and all this sign that's being laid down doesn't mean anything at all to me as far as killing that deer next year. I th- actually, I think that's a really good point because, again, you're trying to kill these deer early on in the season. And then also, you know, you do see, you know, postseason scouting is such a big topic for, you know, especially, you know, different forms and magazines and, and just all kinds of things. You hear people talking about it all the time and really kind of got us thinking more about it. But the thing is, you know, the, your style of hunting, you know, trying to locate specific bucks you know, you're you're not looking to kill him. You know, postseason, it's not really it's not really helping you. I mean, again, I think that makes perfect sense for you and your style of hunting. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that uh, maybe they have had success. You know, postseason scouting and locating areas that hold deer. Uh, I know personally, for me, I haven't had any success yet doing it. Um, you know, then again, I'm not hunting specific deer, but. I think this is going to be a cool episode for guys to kind of listen to and maybe relate on what has worked and maybe what hasn't worked for them. I'm sure there's going to be guys that are going to be like, I can attest to what you're saying, Josh, and uh, about like not having success with postseason scouting and really making it where you know you kill a deer the following year because of what you did in the postseason. Um, now, I've got the, one of the last questions I've got for you, and then I'll let Andrew jump in here um, if he's got anything, is it, when it comes to prepping an area – for the next season. Okay. You know, you, you've hunted some core areas long enough now that you know exactly how the deer use them, uh, different areas to hunt. Do you ever go in postseason to, you know, work on entrance routes, exit routes, uh, getting trees prepped or anything like that? No, no, I, I do not. What I'll do is when I, when I, I, cause I'll get my cameras out, you know, find a buck that I want to kill. You know, if I can locate one that I want to kill, um, then I'll start moving those cameras around and moving them in, and I'll try to find exactly where his core is at. And then when I find exactly where I believe his core is, 
I would go in on foot and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll walk that place really hard. I mean, I'll, I'll spend hours walking through there. I'll, I'll find his bed. I'll find out exactly how he's moving and I'll find a tree. I'll, I'll check, I'll, I'll climb the tree. I'll see, you know, I'll look, see where it looks, what it looks like from the tree. And then I'll, I'll do everything then. And then I'll plan my, I'll plan how I get in and out. I plan exactly what wind I'm going to hunt it on. I'll do everything that day. And then I'll wait until I want to go in and try to kill him. And then I'll, you know, I'll go in and, and I don't, I don't prep anything. I don't cut anything. I might take a rope, you know, like a, 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 a parachute cord, you know, tie some limbs back or tie a little tree to the side or whatever, you know, something I can take back off, you know, after I'm, after I'm done hunting, uh, but I, I won't cut anything or anything. I'll, I'll just, but and I'll do that the day I hunt. I'll tie things back or whatever, you know, the, the day I set up, I won't leave it. Awesome. That That's very cool how you do it. And that actually goes hand in hand with what you were talking about last, um, last time we had you on about kind of going in, you know, bumping that deer out of his bed, locating his bed, you know, after you kind of bump him out and then, you know, backtracking from there for your tree. Um, so that's awesome. Um, well, Andrew, do you have anything you want to kind of touch on? Uh, I don't have any more questions, but I just want to say that it's been a heck of a deer season. It's been the best deer season I've personally had in my life. I know that uh, a lot of listeners have had incredible deer seasons as well, and it's really thanks to guys like you, Josh, who are willing to come on here and share knowledge. That's no small thing of you to do, and I think I can speak for me, Jacob, and a lot of listeners when I say like a heartfelt thank you for being willing to come out, come on here and, and literally just help people out of the goodness of your heart. Like We're not giving you any money or free stuff or anything. You're, just, you're doing it because you want to help people you know, get better at deer hunting. And we greatly appreciate that, man. Man, I, I appreciate you letting me on. I enjoy helping people out. I've been, I've been on the forums for years trying to, trying to help people out, you know, give them tips and this and that and other. It's, I, I love doing it. Well, Josh, well, Josh, uh, one thing I want to wrap up on is you've actually started, uh, your own Facebook group, uh, called, is it, is it called Autumn Ninja or is it called something with Autumn Ninja? The Autumn Ninja. Okay, the Autumn Ninja. So if someone wanted to kind of follow along with some of your thoughts on different things and also maybe ask you questions, I guess they can join that group and kind of get involved with you? Yes, I'm going to, you know, every every day or two, day or so, I'm going to try to add a little something to it, you know, as time and people can discuss and talk. And if people want to PM me and ask me some questions, that, that'd that be good too. Awesome. So anyone out there that wants to kind of get more involved with uh, kind of Josh's style of hunting, and I know we've had a lot of listener success stories uh, come off your first episode, uh, then make sure y'all check his group out, which is The Autumn Ninja uh, on Facebook. So awesome. Well, Josh, dude, we appreciate you coming on, man. We've really enjoyed it. And uh, man, we'll have to have you maybe back on during turkey season if you can get out and uh, do a little turkey hunting this spring, especially up in Tennessee. Um, but man, we appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. You're more than welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is the last interview of deer season. So uh, if you don't like turkey hunting, I suggest you start like turkey hunting because it's awesome and it's really fun. And coverage on that starts next week. So tune in for a turkey episode next week. We're going to hit turkey season exactly the same way as we have hit deer season. where We're, good, we're just going to be talking to the killers. And that's, I mean, that's all there is to it. We're going to be asking guys who kill turkeys on public land a lot how they do it. Uh, and take obviously some of y'all's questions and and as the season goes on kind of build um build a profile of like the kind of episodes we want to make towards turkey hunting basically whatever's the most helpful to you guys is what we're going to make so be sure to stick around for that but right now 
actually, the day that this drops is the last day of deer season in Alabama, and I'm going to hunt tomorrow morning. And that's going to be my last deer hunt until probably September. So that's kind of sad, um, but we'll make it through that. Um, Jacob, what, you got anything to say? Let's let's go over this episode real quick, and then we got some uh, recent events and stuff to cover, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Uh, yeah, j- dude, I really enjoyed talking to Josh. I-, I love talking to Josh. He's a super fun guy. Uh, hopefully be able to meet up with him maybe this spring, dude. Maybe on a Tennessee turkey hunt or something. Who knows? Um, but, no, that was a really cool episode with him. Kind of talking about his, you know his way of hunting. Again, he's trying to target specific bucks on public land and it's had a lot of success doing that through the years and it was kind of interesting when i talked to him earlier today about his thoughts on postseason scouting and how he's really stopped doing it because it's not helping him at all for his style of hunting and kind of hearing him talk about that it makes a lot of sense so you know that was really fascinating plus he had a lot of good you know tidbits in there for somebody that was more um open to what they want to shoot like me you and me like you know we're not targeting a specific deer you know kind of his thoughts on going in and finding some of that sign you know postseason but even then he doesn't know how much that's really gonna pay off come next season especially you know he's very much trying to kill a deer very early in the season before you know even before they break up from bachelor groups for the most part and uh you know start rutting but dude i, I really enjoyed it now what's your thoughts on kind of everything because again you didn't know anything about this episode until literally we kind of went over it uh, ahead of time before yeah. we started recording. Yeah, I knew nothing about what we were going to talk about. Um, yeah, I I relate a lot with uh, kind of the experiences that Josh has. I'm not obviously I, I haven't had the amount of success that he has, but like some of the frustrations he's had, uh, I've definitely experienced the same thing. Where I'll spend a lot of time postseason scouting and i just feel like i never find anything that's worthwhile it's like yeah i'm going out in the woods and it's fun and dandy and everything but i would much rather squirrel hunt or rabbit hunt or something like that uh than than postseason scout for deer just because i mean i just never i've never located anything postseason that's helped me kill a deer and that's not to say that it can't be done uh it definitely can but it's just I don't know. I guess it's just my style, and we probably—I guarantee you that we could have found another person who's all about postseason scouting, and their whole, you know, hunting strategy hinges on on postseason scouting. Uh, and it just goes to show that there's so many different ways to kill a deer. You don't need to kind of pigeonhole yourself to just one thing, because uh, whatever works best for you is is what's going to help you kill deer. You know? Yeah, and to be honest, dude, I am now. Over the last year and a half, two years, I am now, like, I am obsessed with crappie fishing, okay? Yep. And, se- I mean, that, that's what I did last week. I didn't go deer hunting. I went crappie fishing and had a absolute blast. So, you know, come into deer season, dude, you know, in February, I want to go freaking chase some crappie personally um, before turkey season gets cranked up, you know, yep. middle of March. So, you know, everybody's priorities a little bit different. Plus, another thing, in our era where we hunt in every state's a, t- a little bit different, you know, especially when the rut is, you know, where we hunt kind of the majority of the state, the late is so late in the season, you know, kind of getting that December, January, you know, time frame, you know, postseason scouting. There are, dude, we will find, you can find bucks chasing does in March that are coming back into heat from, you know, February, late February or, mm-hmm. or January, you know, doe fawns. You know, there are people right now posting photos of spotted fawns on trail camera uh, that literally don't look like they're older than maybe a month or two. 
So, that being said, I don't really think postseason scouting is something that I'm going to focus on a whole bunch just because I don't. It's really a time thing. First off, yeah. Um, so that that's that's kind of the, my biggest thought. Now, one thing I do want to do for sure this year is to run a lot of trail cameras. I've, I'm starting to stockpile trail cameras uh, to start running this summer, kind of like how Josh does it. So I want to try that this summer and try to see if we can pattern some bucks for the coming season. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I, I wish that I knew where I was going to be this fall. Like, because, I mean, you know that uh, we're expecting to move here pretty soon, and I don't really know where we're going to end up yet. Uh, I tell you what, if I knew where the heck I was going to be you know, in a couple months, I would definitely go out and postseason scout just to get a lay of the land. And like what Josh was talking about, uh, going out and like, if I'm just going to a new area I'm unfamiliar with, I would go out and I'd try and find, uh, the thickets that are going to be good this upcoming year. So if you have like a borderline pine thicket that is not, um, uh, it's not maybe the best kind of thickness, uh, it's not super thick underneath or something like that there's a good chance that it could grow up and get shaded out by this fall. So you want to try and find something that's not borderline. You want to find something that's really good and thick this time of year. And then I would try and find funnels that connect them or, or something like that. Or or like um, for early season, I would try and find something, just based on what happened to me last year or this year, I guess. Um, I would go out and try and find a thicket that meets like a, a flat hardwood ridge top that is also kind of thick. Um, if that makes sense, I don't know. Um, I would definitely go out, but the thing is, it's like the places that I've been hunting, I've been hunting them for like three years now and I kind of, there's no reason for me to go out and postseason scout. Uh, so like I said, I'm just going to go out and try and shoot some fox squirrels here, you know, over the next couple of weeks, go fishing a couple of times, go squirrel hunting, maybe do a little bit of rabbit hunting. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Post postseason scouting has kind of lost its luster for me a little bit. Hopefully, we're not like bumming people out who are like super high on postseason scouting and they're all jacked, and we're like, "Oh, it's useless." Blah, blah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just you know kind of based on you know where you're hunting. I think in farm country, you know, maybe postseason scouting would be you know pretty slick, uh, especially if you did it like literally right when season went out. Uh, and had a, an idea where those deer were at. But the thing is, I don't know how much it's going to help you, though, especially early season. And I don't think it's going to really help you much at all. Really, I think postseason scouting is to figure out where to find deer later in the season the following year. Um, and that all depends on whether or not, you know, weather conditions are the same, uh, whether or not, you know, uh, you know, the pressure, hunting pressure is the same, whether or not there, there's logging going on or different agriculture practices going on uh the following year there's a lot of factors that can go into it that change you know where dr from one year to another um but i think that's that's enough on that so what's what's kind of some updates what's been going on dude uh so i got out one more i haven't been hunting in like two two weeks or something like that like just everything that's been going on lately i haven't been able to get out uh and i finally got out this weekend my buddy mark turner who people have heard about and heard on this podcast before uh, he, he drew a SOA hunt this year, uh, for Uchi Creek, which is the same place I hunted last year. And you can take a guest and he decided to take me yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Um, so I got to go out for a morning hunt. You know, Uchi is a, all the SOAs are really high quality properties with good deer numbers. And I got to use a rifle and it was buck or doe. So I was ready to kill a buck or a doe, uh, to kind of season ender. So we went out there, got out there kind of at gray light, hadn't had a chance to really scout the unit before. Um, 
So we go out and get the rifle and basically still hunt. We go and check some food plots just to see if there's any deer out in them, but we're mainly just still hunting, kind of getting a lay of the land. Um, and the uh, the whole idea of this hunt was I could only hunt till like 11 o'clock or so in the morning. So we started at gray light, and I'm like, rather than then go to something on a map that looks good before daylight. I'm going to wait till gray light, and I'm just going to walk around and still hunt, especially since I had a rifle. I'm just going to walk around and still hunt, and we're not going to set up until we find something that looks good. And so, long story short, we still hunt around, find a big dead hog, which was interesting. Uh, and we get, like, basically a mile from the truck. Um, we, we still hunt all the way down this road, and it's almost a mile from the truck. Just kind of looking for fresh sign. And, I mean, of course, there's rut sign everywhere there's rubs i mean big rubs all over the place like big rubs the size of your calf just everywhere um i've never seen that many rubs that big in that small of an area but anyways we we find in plenty of rubs and scrapes but none of them were touched up since the rain so i told mark you know kind of going along with this whole theory that we've had with the last place we hunted all I need is a track. I'm like, all I want to find is like a, a good set of fresh tracks that I know happened since the rain, which it had quit raining right before daylight. So uh, if we found a fresh track, we knew that it happened pretty much like within the last hour or so. So we still hunt around, finally get to this one place, and we're down in the swamp, and it's all flooded, and, and there's this little cutover that juts down into the swamp that's uh, thick with pines now. It's, again, it's not a cutover. It's a pine thicket. It's like a 10-year-old cutover. you got to stop saying that. But so um, that pine thicket was right there on the property line. And then just over the property line, there was a couple other pine thickets. So there was, like again, a lot of diversity there in that spot. And so that's the spot that we initially had in mind, but we just took our time and still hunted to it. So we get to that spot with all the diversity, and, I mean, bam. Soon, I mean, sure enough, man, as soon as we get into that little corridor in between the pine thicket that's on public and the pine thicket that's on private, there's like a hundred yard corridor between them uh, right there on the property line. And right there in that little diverse area, there's just tracks all over the place, fresh tracks, big worn down trails in the middle of the swamp. There's palmettos everywhere. It's nice and thick. So we shoot up a tree and, uh, it, at that point is probably eight o'clock and we give it about an hour, hour and a half. And then we throw out some really loud grunts and we start rattling and I look behind me, and here comes this buck out of the pine thicket. Um, is that he's a pretty decent buck? Um, I probably would have shot him on other places, uh, but he wasn't legal for Uchi. He was like a, I can't remember if he was a six or an eight point, but he was like maybe like right at the ears, maybe a little bit inside the ears. Uh, not very tall, and on Uchi they got to be like, oh gosh, what is it, fourteen or sixteen inches wide or something like that, or have an eighteen inch main beam. Which I have, I, I do not trust myself to, like, judge that correctly if it's a borderline deer. So we were really just looking for, like, a big buck uh, where there would be no doubt. So let him walk. But, man, he walked right up to us. I could have shot him with a bow. Uh, he came out just like, man, he snuck right in looking for that, the source of that rattling and everything. And, anyways, he gets out of there. And then we give it about another hour and uh, rattle again and have this doe come just tearing right by us uh i guess that she was standing out there in the swamp somewhere when we started rattling and she was standing kind of in the middle of that corridor i'm talking about and when we started rattling she instantly jumped and ran to that pine thicket and went up into that thicket like 
almost like she knew that there was two bucks out there, and then if one of them saw her, that she would like start getting chased or whatever, and she didn't want to deal with it. That's kind of what it seemed like. Uh, and I, I was going to shoot her. She was a huge doe, uh, but she got up in the thicket, and I couldn't get a shot. And, and that was pretty much the SOA hunt. Uh, it was a short hunt, but it was a lot of fun, a lot of action. Very cool. So you're going back out to, or you're going back out in the morning. Is that correct? Yeah, but I'm not going to the SOA. I'm going to another parcel. Oh man. Yeah, SOA hunts. I think it ended today. So. Okay, gotcha. Bummer. Well, so much, for, so much for our sausage making. Yeah. Stacking up a couple days. Yep. Well, I don't know. I haven't decided if I'm taking the bow or the rifle out tomorrow. Uh, if I take the bow, I can, I can shoot does. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right, cool. I'm awesome. really about to. I'm, I'm well, really about ready to shoot a pig. That's what I'm ready to shoot. Diversify that freezer. Uh, oh, for sure, dude. I'm right. I'm right up the uh, the same alley with you on that. All right, cool. So let's see what else has been going on. I've got nothing really going on with me. Just freaking working. Got a uh, n- new goal. Oh, I got I got something. This is a side note. This is this nothing really to do with hunting. All right. So I'm looking to purchase like a a newer truck. Like a newer truck. Okay. This is for everybody out there. If you drive a newer truck, like 2018 or newer, that you really like, okay, would you message me about it? I just have a couple questions on a couple different makes and models. I actually went out to a dealership today. I was looking at a bunch of different things. Um, but I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a new truck before deer season next year, um, kind of looking at a few different options. But uh, if there's a certain truck that you guys like, let me know. This That's just kind of a, I'm kind of doing a little uh, little shout out for myself out here. At the Ginger Bow Hunter on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> finally got um, that Instagram handle changed. I know, finally, dude. Uh, finally. Thank God it wasn't already taken. I was actually surprised it wasn't taken yet. <laughs> ginger, at the Ginger Bow Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. But I'm trying to get us a, uh, trying to get us a rig together for this elk hunt next year. If we're actually doing the elk hunt. Yeah. I don't know, you tell we'll me. with your schedule? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find yeah, out. Gotta be packed. Got to be packing some stuff out. But anyways, so yeah, I just want to put that out there. So if you, you got a newer truck, uh, let me know how you like it and if there's anything you would do differently uh, on the maker model. I haven't really decided on anything quite yet, but uh, just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, uh, other than that, dude. Other I'm than trying, that, Bows and Brews. Bows and Brews. Yeah, I got our event coming up, which is how uh, – dude, I don't know how many people got RSVP'd right now, but it's a freaking solid amount. Um, I'm looking right but it's, now. Looks, it's going to look like an awesome time. It's looking like an awesome time. So yeah, any of our listeners, if you're within you know a, a you know a decent driving distance, recommend coming out and just you know spend the day with us. We're gonna hang out, and uh, you know we got just the archery range. We'll be able to shoot and test different setups. I'm gonna try to bring up broadhead target as well, so guys can shoot different setups through their bow. Um, and of course the gear corner. Gear corner is gonna be awesome, so guys can come out and try a bunch of different products, uh, whether saddles, tree stands, climbing systems, backpack systems. Even uh, had a couple guys ask us about some first light camo. You kind of can try some of that stuff on as well. Yeah. Um, but that's gonna be awesome, man. It's gonna be so cool because you're gonna be able to try a bunch of like premium hunting products. So there's products you just can't find like local your local store. And try it out before you actually buy it, which will be awesome. I kind of wish I would have done that with other pieces of gear that I have. Um, but that will be awesome for everybody. And plus, we're going to do a lot of podcasts and have some food and everything there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's going to be exciting. What's that number at right now? Uh, so right now we have 38 people have responded that they're going. We have 117 who are interested, which is pretty slick. Uh, thanks, everybody. That's pretty awesome. Uh 
and yeah, like you said, we got the uh, gear corner coming up. I'm trying to find an email right now. I do not see it, but I know it's in here somewhere. Golly, where is it? Okay, so anyways, I had a, a guy email me who works at UAB. Uh, he's actually, I think he's a uh, he's got a doctorate in nutrition or something like that. And he's he's going to be coming, and he's going to be bringing some uh, like backpacking gear or something like that, backpacking um, packs, and then I think some shelters and, and other various gear, which I know some people are interested in. So if you want to check that out, that'd be that'd be pretty slick. And like you said, we're going to have saddles and just all kinds of other stuff there. So uh, it's going to be a pretty fun event. I can't wait. And we one thing that that guy asked me. Man, I cannot find this email. Sorry, man, I can't remember your name. Uh, I have bad memory. Anyways, um, one thing that he asked is if, like, it'd be a problem if he brought so-and-so brand, uh, if we're associated with anyone. For for reference, we're not associated with any gear companies right now. So uh, that that's by design. We don't want to, you know, have to, you know, be locked down to one specific company. So... We're, at the moment at least, trying to not do any sponsorships with hunting companies. So feel free to bring any brand that you want to bring. Uh, absolutely no restrictions on that whatsoever. The more the better uh, that can be at that gear corner. Again, just like so people can, can try a whole bunch of different stuff. So if you have any piece of gear that uh, maybe is not uh, readily available at like Academy or Bass Pro or something then bring that out if you feel comfortable doing that and let people put their hands on it and check it out. I'm going to be bringing some First Light stuff, some Sitka stuff, um, maybe a, like a Browning trail camera or something. Uh, and then, you know, Kafaru pack, saddle, couple platforms, Shikara sticks, Lone Wolf custom sticks, Lone Wolf sticks, um, Silent Approach steps, Wild Edge steps with Aiders. Man, uh, just a whole bunch of different stuff. So Gear Corner is going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you might have to. Anyone that wants to use those wattage steps with the Aider, you might have to sign a waiver before you do that. No, if you haven't seen the video, I'm not going to let that. people try. I'm not going to let <laughs> if you if you have it and you want to like let people try yours, you can. I'm not going to let people try mine because that's liability. <laughs> I'll admit it is a it's like the most dangerous way I've ever climbed a tree by far. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. At, at first, you know, there's some trees. If you're doing it on perfect trees, it's fine. When you start doing like subpar trees and not even that bad but like slightly crooked trees it turns into like i'm gonna die trying to get down this thing it is not good um also for that we're, we're still gonna try and do the uh scouting workshop as of right now that's still on um adrian farley actually reached out to me and he definitely wants to come to that and do that scouting workshop with us so um as long as that, as long as nothing changes, you know, weather and schedules permitting, that's going to be still on. We'll let you know if something changes there. Uh, but Adrian Farley should be there, and you'll, you know, if you come to that, you'll get to spend a little bit of time with him in the woods. Um, but other than that, for bows and brews, we're good to go. You got anything else? Uh, just hats. We've got a ton of new hats in. Uh, got four different styles for everybody's been checking out. Actually, I only have a couple orange hats, uh, blaze orange hats left, and I think w at least one of them spoken for. Um, but anyways, got a bunch of different hats up right now, guys. We appreciate everybody that's already purchased them. The uh, Bottomlands uh, Turkey Foot 
hunting hat has been extremely popular with a lot of people right now. And I'm getting a lot of cool feedback, a lot of good feedback from those hats. A lot of guys are really enjoying them, uh, especially the, the fit and uh, comfort of them. And uh, you'll definitely be seeing us wear those this spring. But we got those hats along with our traditional leather patch hat. And then our new, called our uh, sky blue uh, leather patch hat, the Stay Southern hat. Uh, which is really, really, really sweet. That's my, that's my everyday hat when I'm not at work, just right around town. But uh, you got those available right now as well. We appreciate everybody's support that's already purchased hats. Um, again, we'll try to get those hats out. Um, you know, we we try to ship orders every day during the week, Monday through Friday by noon. Um, so if you order a hat, you know, Monday, Tuesday, you know, it should ship hopefully the same day, if not the following day. Uh, so we appreciate all that support. But if you want to order a hat, just message us on Facebook or Instagram and just let us know. And then uh, we'll kind of get you all that information for that. But we appreciate everybody's support. And uh, this thanks again. Yep. Uh, Caesar, anything else we need to go over? Uh, if you're going to be at NWTF this next weekend, this coming weekend, I guess, uh, holler at us. We might be able to meet up at some point. Uh, we'd love to meet some folks. We're going to be freaking recording stuff like Mad Men. Uh, so, so we might be short on time. So sorry if we like can't meet up, but maybe we'll be able to. <laughs> so if you're gonna be at NWTF, holler at us. Uh, looking forward to Nashville. That's always a fun thing we do every year. Uh, also, if you have so again going into turkey season, this, this this right here is wrapping up deer season for us. We'll pick deer stuff or what or whatever back up again after turkey season. But when turkey season comes around, we switch to 100 percent full-blown turkeys we got strut report we got weekly episodes on turkey hunting so be sure to um, stay tuned for that and if you are a big turkey hunter if you're a new turkey hunter if you're really wanting to learn or just expand kind of what you already know please send us you know some questions you want to know about some people you might want to hear about again same exact format as deer season if you've got a dude who lives down the street from you who doesn't have facebook and he kills like a limit of turkeys every year in like the first two weeks of season. Put him in contact with us because that's the best kind of interview we always get, man. Is guys like that. So if you know people who should, you know, come on here and share their knowledge, please try and direct them our way. Put us in contact with them however you can. If you've got specific questions or problems that that you want addressed on the podcast, send those to us. We're gonna work really hard to try and get that stuff out there and answered for you. And hopefully have a turkey season that was just as good or better than deer season. Perfect. Yep, 100% agree. Strut reports are going to be really exciting as well. But uh, NWTF is going to be a good time. So uh, like you said, Andrew, hopefully we can meet up with maybe some listeners up there. I know there's quite a few people that are going to be going uh, to NWTF, but uh, it ought to be a, a excellent time. But other than that, dude, uh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy week, and I can't wait to be up in Nashville. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the 
case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.